Welcome to Why We Do What We Do. This is your host, Abraham. And this is Shane. And so today we begin with our third installment of our spooky psychology month of October. Yes. I'm so excited about this one because I actively engage in this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And which is kind of a upcoming part of this conversation is that most people do, but they don't know it. So Shane, do you have a superstitious behavior that you do around sports? Oh my God. Okay. So I had so many specific behaviors that I would engage in because I'm a former baseball player. And so baseball players just are, I'm going to make the argument that they're the most superstitious people on the planet. There was one season where I didn't wash my socks at all. Oh no. At all. The reason being is I had a hitting streak. So every game that I got hits in, I wouldn't wash my socks after that game because they were my lucky socks. Well, it ended up that I got hits in every single game of that season. So I didn't wash my socks for the entire season. I don't know. I feel like that explains it, though. <laughs> and that's why you have amputated feet. And that's why that's why I have gangrene. <laughs> but a great season. Well worth it. <laughs> well worth it. Yeah, take that junior year of high school. Did you ever tempt fate by saying that something has never happened to you and then knocked on wood? Oh, for sure. I think I still do as like part of like a social thing. I'll be in meetings. I'll be like, knock on wood. And then the joke is like, I'll knock on my head, right? Right. That's like the dad joke that you have to go through. <laughs> well, and I think that at this point, and we'll get to this, but some of the superstitions that people do anymore, sometimes they'll just say rather than do them. And so it represents more and more how symbolic they are. But anyway, the point being that you have superstitions, I have superstitions. Most people are actually superstitious to some extent, but they often don't really recognize their superstition that they do. Now, although I recall always thinking that superstition was silly, I've learned to recognize that I can be superstitious at times. And I'll talk about what some of those are when we get through these, but we'll, we'll cover some of the more common ones first. Yep. So today we are going to talk about superstitious behavior and kind of some different elements around that, right? So we're going to try to define superstition so you know what it is, give some examples of common superstitious behaviors and explain how we actually become superstitious because I think that it becomes so common in our behavior that we don't even recognize that we're doing it, like you mentioned before. And as a result, like we're doing things that are superstitious that it becomes almost common practice. Yep, absolutely. So let's get into the meaning of this term. So the background of this, the word superstition comes from Latin superstitio also has roots in other languages as well. Very basically when used as a prefix, super means over and then stitio comes from the root word stare, which means to stand or make firm. Thus it sort of translated roughly into something like to stand over or maybe more loosely to survive. And there is debate as to exactly how it turned into the word superstitious that we have today, but that's sort of where it sort of came from. Yeah. And so for the purposes of this, we're going to talk about what it means kind of today and some of the practices. And, and today it actually just means irrational or supernatural belief or practice. And more specifically, you could think of it as like a coincidental outcome that results in an irrational rule that later guides behaviors in similar situations. Yeah. So the practice and identification of superstition as a thing that people do that is unnecessary has been well known for several millennia. In some parts of history, it appears to have been referred to as being excessively religious and throughout history, it mostly seems to have remained more or less unchanged 
changed in that sort of concept in a way, or at least that irrational sort of rule following, if you will. However, the practices specifically have likely changed substantially from what they used to be. And I don't have a really good record on what they used to be. I really just covered for our discussion here what currently exists. And although there are some folklore examples of superstitions, most people have their own superstitions that are specific to them. And they're just little things that we do that we kind of don't notice that we're doing a lot of the time. Yeah, like keeping my sunflower seeds in my back right pocket at every game. And if I didn't have my sunflower seeds, then I would have a bad game. You have such good superstitious behaviors. <laughs> I love so, it. They're so specific. It's so ridiculous. So we should probably talk about common superstitions so that people kind of orient to what we're talking about. If you're not familiar with what superstitions are, here are a couple of examples that we're going to talk about. Yeah. One that's frequently talked about is this idea of beginner's luck. And I mean, this is so common. You can find it in all art forms. You can find it in film and literature and everyday conversations. People talk about you have beginner's luck. And the idea here is that when you first try something, you will have higher odds of being successful because you're trying it for the first time. And this is especially something that is described with respect to chance, such as like gambling. However, I've definitely seen this applied to activities that that do take persistent practice where someone just sort of takes a stab at it and they might do, I mean, not great, but kind of inexplicably better than you thought that they should be able to do. And that can come from one, not having bad habits, but two, just sort of like there are random things that you're going to do that you will sometimes perform better at or worse at. And if you have a general understanding of how to approach it, then you will probably be able to apply yourself a little better. And we also getting into spoilers a little bit, we probably tend to ignore those instances where we try something for the first time and are terrible at it. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. Like why would we account for those things? Exactly. Why would we publish bad science? Another one too is lucky pennies. If you've ever picked up a penny, this is like (laughs) one of the most, I mean, you see this like early on too, like you teach kids this very, very early on. So essentially it's, if you find a penny, pick it up and all a day you'll have good luck. Yep. And I remember doing this from the time that I was really, really young and not because I was frugal, but because that was the thing. It's like, you always had like, okay, there's a, a penny's heads up. You can pick it up. If it's heads down, don't pick it up. It's bad luck. Oh yeah. So that is another element is how many of these have conditions under which you will have that, <laughs> the outcome. And it's like, if it's a certain side or there's, it happens at a certain time or something like that. That's, it's really funny. Yeah. Another common one is avoiding walking under a ladder. And the idea here is that if you walk under a ladder, you'll have bad luck. Now, apparently this one's actually very old. And I saw some sources that trace this back to ancient Christianity where, so the ladder against the wall forms a triangle. And so this is like the Holy Trinity. And so walking under the ladder is breaking the Holy Trinity. I saw another one that put it much further back in early Egyptians, also having an orientation to the triangle or the triangle shape as being sacred, sort of like their pyramids was the argument that that article made. (laughs) And that walking under the triangle formed by the ladder again, sort of broke that sacred shape by passing through it you know i have walked under several ladders and not really experienced this but i did see razor ramon walk under a ladder on his way to a a ladder match against Shawn michaels in the wwe that ladder match did not go well (laughs) well and i think there's some practical advice in some superstition which in this one walking under a ladder is probably a bad idea for things falling on your head or you knocking people off of that ladder. Yeah. So I think that with respect to the practical element, that's perfectly legitimate. And 
I don't know that it's necessarily going to cause bad luck. Actually, no, I do know it won't. No, it won't. No, you're fine. Another one that you hear a lot, especially around this time of year, is all about black cats, right? And black cats crossing your path. So again, this idea is that it causes bad luck. And actually, this is enormously variable across cultures. So there are different ways that people look at it. So apparently in Scotland, United Kingdom, Germany, and Japan, black cats can be considered good luck or signaling prosperity. Sometimes it is direction specific, where in Germany, a black cat walking toward you signals bad luck. A black cat walking away from you signals good luck. So going back to those conditional situations. Yep. In the UK, it is the reverse. So it's the exact opposite of that. Yeah. So that actually explains a lot about how they their international politics. <laughs> It appears that Christian and specifically Puritan factions regard black cats as evil omens, potentially with their folklore association with witches. So we should, oh, I I would want to do like a whole history of witches if we could one day. That's a whole thing. Actually, there are some really cool psychology to unpack in the witch trials and what was going on like with classism and racism and sexism and gender stereotypes and stuff and just really interesting stuff. So that'll be next year when we do our Halloween series. There you go. So anyway, black cats. People don't think they're that great. Some people think they're really great. Again, it's just, it's all about like, there's nothing really there. Like you're talking about luck and what is luck really but chance. Yep. Another one is carrying a rabbit's foot will bring good luck. Ugh. Yeah. This is to me extremely gross. This is not, (laughs) this is so weird. And it's not only the fact that it's the foot, but there are several conditions that can come along with this depending on, I mean, just random factors really. It's roll of the dice, if you will. But there's the idea that the foot must have been harvested under specific conditions and specific circumstances. For example, it either, it must be the left foot depending on where you're from, or it must be taken on a Friday, or it must be taken during a full moon, or the rabbit must have been shot with a silver bullet, or the rabbit was alive when it was cut off, which is horrible, or it was killed in a cemetery, or it was taken during a new moon, or combinations of some of those things. I found some sources that linked this practice to the Native American folklore magic system called hoodoo, voodoo who do what <laughs> I'm thinking of the labyrinth but some also link this to some african practices so i wasn't totally sure where this one came from but that's just the superstition itself is carrying a severed limb is good luck apparently i like the idea i mean i don't like the idea but i think it's interesting that it has to be from a rabbit shot with a silver bullet are they worried about where rabbits <laughs> maybe i'm not sure like steve with clinical lycanthropy turns into a rabbit and he's been bad luck for years so they shot him <laughs> with a silver bullet and took his foot Another one, too, is bad luck comes in threes. So if two bad things happen, people start looking for the third. Uh, This, to me, is more like an issue of, you know, reactivity. Like, you're paying attention to those things, and, like, you just seem to see it a lot. But this one was always really interesting. You see this a lot with celebrities. Like, when celebrities die, there's going to be three that die right away. Yeah, there's the... Yeah, just superstition. Things happen in threes. And then as soon as things stop happening in threes, we stop noticing. Pretty much. So things will sometimes happen in threes. Or fours. Or fours. Or twos or ones or sevens. (laughs) (laughs) Another one that's actually fairly common around the world is the idea of breaking a mirror and that this is bad luck. Now, specifically, the one that I'm most familiar with is the idea that this comes with seven years of bad luck. And this potentially is related to the idea with seven specifically because seven is considered lucky, possibly in reference to the Bible. And so that is the number that is under attack here. And part of this is potentially that there is an idea that the mirror, it brings bad luck when broken, likely stems from the idea that the mirror holds bits of your soul. And so by shattering pieces of your soul, that it creates a bad luck and 
soul bible i don't know i'm not entirely sure what all of the connections are there but because that is such a long period of time people have developed countermeasures and since this is based on nothing then basing a countermeasure on nothing is perfectly legitimate and so a countermeasure is to touch a piece of that broken mirror to a gravestone for some reason or else if not you can grind up the mirror into a powder and then snort it just kidding (laughs) do not snort mirror powder do not snort mirror please Broken glass in your body is bad, no matter what size it is. <laughs> that is a very, a very good quote. That should be a t-shirt. <laughs> Broken glass is bad in your body, no matter what size. <laughs> I mean, it's not wrong. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> Don't put broken glass in your body. Under any circumstances, under any condition. All right. Another one is knocking on wood. And so we mentioned this up at the top of the episode, but it's meant as a protective ward against something bad happening because you tempted fate. Something like if you were to say out loud, I've never gotten a parking ticket, you're inviting a parking ticket into your life, essentially. So knocking on wood should fend off this outcome. Yep. Very straightforward, I guess. Another one is you get your wish to come true if you break a wishbone. And the practice here is that two people hold either end of a cooked forcula bone which is part of a bird, which is basically the bird's equivalent of a collarbone or clavicle. And one person holds one end, the other person holds the other end, and they pull until it breaks. And the person with the larger half is believed to get their wish. Hmm. And this is so bizarrely morbid and gross. Yeah, just, it just, I don't know. That one's gross. Yuck. What is it about some of these superstitions and like breaking body parts? Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, This is probably one of those episodes where, like, when we start digging into that stuff, we have to dig into, like, magic ritual, and, like, then you start getting into, like, this whole paranormal, like, left-hand path magic type of stuff, and we're just not ready for that. We're not, we don't do that. We're not doing right-hand, left-hand path. We are psychology here. Yes. Another one is saying bless you when someone sneezes. And this has actually become, like, I still say this, and it's, like, not even, it's just kind of like a common courtesy now. Yeah. But we saw a reference that suggested that this was linked to symptoms of the plague, and that Pope Gregory the Great started saying, God bless you, after sneezing, hoping that the prayer would protect that person from death. At one point, my brother, because he thought this was really silly, saying bless you after someone sneezes, and he said, this is such a weird tradition that we do, and so he told his wife, we're having this conversation, he said, I would like to have it be the case that when I fart, you say thank you, and she's like, that's never going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I have friends that will say like, nothing happens to you when you die when I sneeze. Okay. I have a friend who he and I have agreed to one another that we will not say anything when the other one sneezes. And we've requested those people who are willing to withhold the bless you that we prefer not to be blessed when we sneeze. Yeah. Cause it is weird. And I don't particularly want to follow that tradition personally. So. I don't know. It's like the plague was really bad, so I don't want to be reminded of it. (laughs) You sneeze and it's like, plague! Yeah, yeah, plague! I want to sneeze and everybody goes, ah! And runs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That'd be funny. Okay. Another one is crossing your fingers for good luck. I actually didn't know the origins of this one, but usually the way this looks is that the person crosses their index and middle finger over one another. I can't cross my index over my middle, so my middle goes over my index personally. 
And this is meant to result in good luck. So say, cross my fingers for good luck is something you'll often hear. Or someone's like, oh, I'm going in for this job interview, cross your fingers. And this is very, very, very extremely common practice. A lot of people do this. And so apparently this actually comes potentially, uh, this is one source that I found from Christian tradition where a more obvious cross was made where you sort of put your next fingers over each other to make a cross. And this was meant to invoke the protection of God by making a sacred symbol. And you can do it with one hand by doing your index over your, or your middle over your index finger to create sort of a cross in that way. That idea is that you are, again, you're sort of following the Christian tradition of the cross. Interestingly, apparently what I was reading is in Vietnam, that symbol is considered to represent the female genitals. Hmm. I'm looking at it going like, what? How? Like, huh? It's considered very rude to make that symbol in Vietnam and would not be considered good luck. And in German speaking countries and many other countries actually saw that gesture, instead of it being cross fingers, it's actually called pressing your thumbs. And it kind of looks like you're making a fist, but you have your thumb inside your fist. And that's supposed to be a symbol of good luck. But a lot of other cultures with the idea of the crossing fingers, that's more related to that, that idea of uh, lying. And so people are crossing their fingers. That's represents lying. And we do use that in a similar way. And like the United States where people will like, Oh, fingers crossed while saying something. And that actually still came from the same origin that I found with respect to the Christian tradition, where you would cross your fingers because you were telling a lie, but it was a white lie. And so you're trying to protect yourself against the condemnation of having told a lie. Huh? All right. There's a lot to unpack with crossing your fingers. Apparently another one that we talk about or that you see often is no umbrellas inside. Essentially doing so brings bad luck. We're not really sure where that comes from. But I've opened several umbrellas inside and never had an issue. Maybe you just didn't notice how bad your luck got all of a sudden. <laughs> I do have student loans, so maybe it was pretty bad luck. <laughs> I actually, there are several of these that sound like it was someone who was taking care of a home, for example, or just was really annoyed by certain things that other people did. And they just sort of came up with a rule like when people open an umbrella and water gets on everything inside the house and then they're like, to stop it, they said something to the effect of, oh, did you know that opening an umbrella inside brings bad luck? So get that out of my house. <laughs> It's all functional. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's great. Maybe, maybe. So another one too is the idea of Friday the 13th and more generally the number 13, they're considered to be unlucky, but now are often celebrated in a way, perhaps to mock the bad luck or mitigate its effects. In some countries, it is Tuesday the 13th that's unlucky. And that's kind of an interesting thing. One way that we celebrate it is that tattoo artists will actually do a Friday the 13th flash sale and they'll tattoo like little Friday the 13th symbols and stuff. Yeah, that's a thing that's, that's kind of fun. Interestingly, at least in the United States, and I know this is not the case in other places, but in the United States, a lot of times large hotels or tall hotel buildings will not have a 13th floor. I mean, they will have a 13th floor, but they will not label it as the 13th floor because people won't book rooms there. Also, certain commuter transportation like airlines and trains and whatnot will get rid of a 13th row. And they'll just go 12, 14 like that. Mm -hmm. And again, there is a 13th row. They're just not labeling it a 13th row. And it's people who are superstitious that will avoid those things. I would stay on the 13th floor of a building and in the 13th row of a plane because I am a punk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's like, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test fate is yeah. what you're doing. Uh, maybe they'll give me a discount if I do that also, which would be great but probably not. <laughs> but there are other countries that have their own unlucky numbers and they actually do a similar thing. And I think that in, I might be wrong about this, but I believe that in some Asian cultures, the number of six is considered unlucky. And so they'll do a similar thing where there's no sixth floor, no sixth row, that sort of thing. So it's interesting so far, you've got animals, magic animal parts, you've got numbers and shapes. 
They're all unlucky things. Very symbolic here is the theme I'm seeing. Yeah. All right. Another one is this idea of something called an evil eye. Have you heard about this one before? Is this the thing that Ronnie James Dio does? <laughs> he's like... <laughs> that's a different evil eye. <laughs> okay, that's a different one. Uh, the idea here is a superstition around when someone compliments something that you own and then it breaks afterward. And you're like, oh, that's a really nice new car. And then all of a sudden you get in a car accident or someone breaks into it. And so there are these charms. They're these blue and white charms that are shaped like eyes. These are apparently common in the Middle East. And these are intended to ward off the bad luck of people complimenting good things that you have. So that's an interesting superstition. I hadn't heard of that one before. Yeah, that's a new one for me. I hadn't heard of this one either. Trimming your finger or toenails after dark is thought to result in premature death. Seems to be common in Asian countries. I've not heard this one in the United States. No, this does sound like another one of those. Don't do this in my house. So I'm going to tell you that you're going to die if you do. Yeah. <laughs> sort of things. I'm not threatening to kill you, but you are going to die. You know, I'm kind of hoping that like I might have accidentally started some of that with my daughter. When she was little, I'd be like, you have to hold on to the cart if you're not because when she was really little. You get to hold onto the cart. If you don't hold onto the cart, your arms will fall off. <laughs> so I'm kind of hoping that carries on somewhere in the folklore. Hopefully. All right. In Russia and Norway, whistling indoors is believed to cause financial problems. Now, I want to specify, we've talked about all these different countries. It's not that everyone in these countries believes this, but these are just common superstitions you'll find there these are like culture specific or culture bound yeah culture bound superstitions there you go so yes russia and norway whistling indoors is believed to result in financial problems in norway whistling at the sun can cause it to rain which makes it sound like they just really don't like whistling in norway is what i'm deriving from this yeah there's <laughs> i couldn't imagine like you know there's those kids those are teenagers that are just like jerks yeah and they're like oh, i'm gonna do it anyway and then you just have this group of kids standing on the playground whistling at the sun because they don't want to go play some outdoor sport like just to get it to rain that'd be a really funny sight to see one day similarly leaving a purse wallet or other money carrying item on the ground results in financial problems by making the money dirty so i've heard similar things like that but not really a whole lot around that yeah i hadn't really heard that one but i can see where people might arrive at that toasting to someone with water as opposed to alcohol so if you're like you know what i mean by toast like raise a glass to somebody cheers yeah cheers exactly and if you use water to do that because you're supposed to use beer i guess some libation yeah some libation exactly that that is considered wishing death upon that person according to a german superstition apparently this has something to do with the idea of the spirits of the dead drinking water out of a particular river or something but so i guess you could probably use substitute any beverage other than water they just are like don't touch me with that water <laughs> give me beer give me chocolate give me milk do not give me water this is something that i actually do like this is stuck in my repertoire I don't toast water. Really? Yeah. It was just one of those things where I, it was a supervisor of mine. We were working together and he's like, no, you cannot toast water. He always had these really impactful philosophical mm. things to say too. So I kind of took it as like a rule and I'm like, okay, now I, it's fine. You can toast water. I'm not wishing death upon you. I like you. Since that's usually all I have with me, it's either that I toast with water or I make people offended by the fact that I don't participate in their toast. But I don't toast. Yeah. So kind of a catch 22 there. So another one that we want to cover is that sometimes birds flying into your house might indicate death, especially if it lands on a chair and then leaves. The person who that chair belonged to is marked for death in Mexican and Caribbean culture or folklore, I should say. Yeah, there are several other cultures that have things about birds. They're, they vary. There's tons of omens about birds, actually, especially crows, blackbirds in general. But yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there is an Argentinian superstition that the seventh son in a family will turn into a werewolf. Yes. Clinical lycanthropy making a return. <laughs> However, you can prevent this if the president of the country adopts that child. <laughs> Which, where did that come from? That's so weird. I want to know where that came from. Like, I want to know the first president that was like, I'll help. Right. Like, oh no, I had a seventh son. The president's like, I'm going to step up and fulfill in my duty by adopting your child. They step in and go, don't worry, I got this. Yeah. That's awesome. So bizarre. So it's interesting, though. There's probably something there, right? There was probably something that happened that helped shape that up. And we're going to talk about that. But that's a very, very specific context. I think what happened here is that there was an affair and that it was the president with some family and that would have been that woman's seventh son and the president was like well i have to take him because the seventh son turns into a werewolf and if the president adopts him then it won't the family's like cool you're like i'm bailing you out yeah cool beans thanks (laughs) appreciate that that's what i think happened that makes the most logical sense it could be it could be so many other things but i'm just i'm just making stuff up i'm being cynical i guess yeah yeah no it's fine i support that one I didn't include here, but that occurred to me was the idea when I was talking about the breaking limbs thing is the wishing someone to break a leg when they're going to perform in some way. This comes from the idea that wishing someone good luck will actually cause them to have a terrible performance. And so by wishing them bad luck, specifically to break a leg, that you'll get the opposite. And that's sort of tempting fate. Yeah. That's a common theme in a lot of these I've found is that whole tempting fate thing. And so, yeah, wishing to break a leg. And I actually heard a story and I didn't actually check at all to see if this is true because, again, I forgot to include it in my list originally. But I heard a story that there was a group of people who brought a lawsuit against someone who wished them good luck and they were performers, like a formal lawsuit. They're like, they wished us good luck. I'm like, wow, that is intense superstition, you guys. Yeah, like you're bringing it into the legal realm. I mean, I know that in like paranormal circles, like when that stuff gets brought into court, like sometimes courts have to recognize that there may be some paranormal activity happening that's happened in England a couple times. Wow. So, I mean, there might be a precedent for like superstitious law. Man, <laughs> if there are any superstitious like law professionals out there, like lawyers, not a superstitious lawyer, but a lawyer who practices in cases involving superstition, I would love so much for you to write in and like talk about that. That'd be amazing. You haven't heard about the law firm Spectre and Ghoul? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So some other common superstitions surround rituals with respect to sports. And I relate to this one so much more than I want to or care to admit. Typically, sports teams are fairly like athletes, like people that are playing a lot or engaged in some of these things are pretty superstitious. I feel like it's safe to say that people feel strongly about their sports and their sports teams. Yes, 100% agree. Even people who are otherwise who have no fear of superstitions, they'll actually cling to rituals around their favorite sports teams. And often this involves wearing your your teams or the opposing team's logo, eating certain foods, sitting with a particular group of people at a particular location. It might even include too, and one thing that I also include for baseball is specifically, you don't talk about a pitcher pitching a perfect game. Oh, wow. Okay. You do not say it. If they start pitching a perfect game, you don't even mention it. And at a certain point, you stop talking to the pitcher. <laughs> the tempting fate again like that is such a huge theme in here because you don't want to mess up you don't want to say you're doing great because that's exactly when they mess up like if you watch you can actually see this like you can actually go on youtube and watch like pitchers pitching perfect games Mm -hmm. and watching the pitcher in the dugout yeah nobody is talking to them for like 
hours on end. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's really cool. So interestingly, the sports stuff can get pretty wild and can be even worse than just those very basic things of like wearing certain things. I looked up some common ones and then some bizarre ones. And some common ones I found around sports are eating certain foods before or during the game, wearing or drawing certain symbols, talking to your equipment in some way like if it's hockey you're talking to the puck or you're talking to your hockey stick talking to the ball i've seen that yeah i've seen pictures like whispers like we got this and you're like okay man all right yep there is bouncing tossing throwing or otherwise manipulating the equipment in some way that's just like handling it doing it a certain number of times in a certain way or at certain times during the day before or during the game and these can all be seen at sporting events but some of the weird ones i found were (laughs) chewing on a towel during the game not (laughs) allowing other people to touch you or your equipment before the game which is actually similar to that picture one you were talking about yeah and then someone what you did not washing certain clothing (laughs) items such as hat gloves socks i'm probably afraid to envision this but also probably underwear yeah yeah sleeping with your equipment putting baby powder on their equipment and then there are certain gestures and movements that people will do that are supposed to be symbolic they're probably yoga poses and whatnot that they'll try mm-hmm. and i do believe that baseball as you mentioned is the worst offender of all of these things it's fantastic there's other things too like so when i used to go up to bat i would tap the plate three times i would tap each of the corners and then tap the plate three times before i'd swung my bat there's something called rally hats where uh like you don't wear your hat like the normal way where you the bill is up front you wear it like it's a mohawk okay yeah like you wear it in the dugout while it's like a mohawk and it's just one of those things like playoff beards like there's a lot of sports that have playoff beards like you don't shave the entire playoff season so you'll see hockey players get these big bushy beards and like baseball players too will have these big bushy beards during the playoffs when their teams are rallying and doing well i also sense in here a theme of don't change so whenever something is going well then try and keep everything static as much as possible no washing no cleaning no change in routine whatever you're doing is working so don't change and that's actually really important to understanding how these superstitions get shaped up in the first place so let's actually transition to that now yeah let's do that so when we talk about superstitious behavior and like what superstitions are about 25 percent of the people in the u.s say that they are superstitious and i didn't look up stats for other countries but i'm very curious i'd be willing to bet there's quite a bit of fluctuation in there oh for sure and for some their superstitious ritual is intended to reduce anxious feelings or bring a sense of peace but how does that happen we don't we're going to dig into that now right so there are a couple hypotheses and one of the main ones is this basic evolutionary hypothesis that states that superstitions are like heuristics or kind of like shortcuts macros if you will these rules that we make up that are overly generalized because if they are it is safer to overgeneralize a rule from a successful strategy or to overgeneralize a rule that allows you to successfully avoid something dangerous in some experience than it is to miss an opportunity for gaining access to food shelter mating or alternatively to re-expose yourself to danger. So basically what is being stated inside of this is that if an animal learns one time, I did this thing and that resulted in food, shelter, or mate, then that thing I'm going to do next time, even though that may have been completely irrelevant to how they ended up at their food, shelter, or mate, it was the thing that they did. And then they had that outcome. Okay. And then Alternatively, there was this thing that they did and that removed whatever danger there was there. And again, could have been totally unrelated, but the animal learns like this shortcut of this is the thing I do. And in doing that thing, 
if they overgeneralize that rule, they're still more likely to be successful than if they return to that same situation and they're like, well, I did this last time and that worked out, but I'm not going to do that this time. And then they get eaten, you know? So yeah, that's kind of what's going on in this hypothesis here. Yeah. And so to kind of expand on this behaviorist BF Skinner published a paper in 1948 on superstitious behaviors in pigeons. And in this paper, he had described an observation that some of the pigeons were behaving really oddly in their cages, such as swinging their heads in a pendulum motion and rotating around the cages. What he identified was that when he provided food to pigeons randomly, regardless of any action they performed, but depending usually on the passage of time, they began building on a routine of behaviors that preceded the food. So what ended up happening was they were doing things that they did before the food arrived, presumably so that the behavior would produce the food again. So you can kind of think of this as let's try and put ourselves in the pigeon's head. And the pigeon is like, okay, don't know what's going on here. But when I swung my head back this way and swung it back the other way, I got food. So I'm going to just do that. And they do it and then it doesn't work. And they're like, okay, maybe I didn't do it right. I'm going to do it again. They do it again. And it doesn't work. They're like, I'm going to try one more time. They do it again. And then all of a sudden food happens. Didn't actually have anything to do with the fact that they were swinging their head. The food was just going to show up, but they start to expect that food and it's around certain behaviors that they do. And so another thing that he observed in this paper was how widely variable some of those behaviors were. So some of them would be doing this head swinging thing. Some of them, this flapping thing, some of them, this like moving around their cage thing, some like walking in certain patterns, like all kinds of bizarre stuff that would take place. And I mean, bizarre. It wasn't like out of character for a pigeon to be able to do those things. But what he noticed was that it, seems to be whatever they were doing it would result in food and they would start doing more of that thing even though it wasn't connected if you start taking that model and applying it to like human behavior where it gets more complex you can see kind of how those contingencies get shaped right this expands to those more behaviors and explains that those behaviors that humans do the superstitions that they pick up are not just reinforced by food but also things like successful transactions such as money, but not always with money, but money can be one of them, job security and all manners of things that can symbolically mean good in whatever capacity it means to people. And furthermore, because our language allows us to think of events and link events from the past to the future, even when they're unconnected or separated by a wide range of other events and wide passages of time, we can associate one particular action or condition, I guess, with a particular outcome, even with the most tenuous connection. That perfectly explains why we seem to observe bad behavior during full moons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what that is. The moon, a celestial body, is nowhere near the planet to cause behavior in organisms, but we tend to see like, oh, there's full moon. Things seem a little crazy. And then also the language around that helps kind of reinforce that particular belief. Exactly. All we need to do is be able to think about how they might be related to start to form how the preceding condition and the following outcome must have a cause effect relationship and develop that superstition. Yeah, there you go. So that brings us back to baseball players, our favorite superstitious group. So for a pitcher who happens to touch his hat before throwing a perfect strike, he is now much more likely to touch his hat again before the next pitch and also has a better understanding of how to throw a good strike, at least for that particular batter at the plate. So he has that in his repertoire. It's fresh in his mind. He's aware and he's observed his own behavior. And now he's more likely to throw that strike based on what he did 
just minutes before. Right. And that comes back to that idea of like change where don't change anything for something that just worked. And if the thing that you attend to is I just touched my hat or even maybe I blinked a certain number of times or I adjusted my pocket just in this way before I threw it, then you go right back to these chain of things. And although a lot of times these pitchers, these baseball players will be very aware of the pattern that they're developing, sometimes they're not fully aware of the whole pattern and they'll start to develop little pieces of the pattern that they don't really notice they're doing all of them, right? And the thing that they're totally ignoring though is the fact that they're practicing really good throwing in that particular instance. Or for the batter, the thing that they're not paying attention to is the fact that they just practiced a really good swing that resulted. And so like rather than remember what was the muscle movement that I made to have this be effective. They remember, you know, what color are the skid marks in my underwear as I'm making this swing. And so like, let's keep that thing the same. Because I'm on a 40 game hitting streak and I haven't washed my underwear. Exactly right. Also, just so everybody, all your listeners, underwear was never in my, that was never my thing. It was socks. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I definitely thought some people were definitely thinking they're like, he said socks, but he meant underwear. He meant underwear. No, I just no. want to clarify full transparency. It was all his socks. But that being said, even though they're not paying attention to the fact that they did practice it really well, the fact that they practiced it really well is probably going to result on them doing better next time. And so then they'll touch their hat again. They'll throw another really good pitch because they just practiced a really good pitch and then they'll be successful and be like, oh, magical hat. Got it all figured out. That's it. Just had to touch the universe in exactly the right way. And that meant tap the hat, adjust my pants, scoot my butt, look this way, spit over here, blink 37 times and then throw. And for some baseball players, that's not an exaggeration. I don't go to baseball games very often, but they built a studio here in Reno fairly recently. Well, years ago now, actually, it wasn't recent at all, but it felt recent for how long I lived here. <laughs> and we've gone to a few games and just, you know, let's see, it's part of a thing. It's a thing to do. And they're they're fun. There's yeah. some good stuff to do there. Anyway, we were counting, watching one this one pitcher and just like trying to count all the different steps he went through. And there were like legitimately 12 different things that he did before every single pitch. Oh, yeah. I was like, whoa, that is a lot. <laughs> yeah. If you watch a batter go up to the plate, you watch the same batter multiple times. They'll do the exact same thing every single time they come to the plate like i can tell you exactly what my batting routine is but we'll get to that when we talk about our superstitions and the other thing too is it only has to work once for it to maintain for an extremely long period of time absolutely i haven't played baseball in almost 20 years yeah no i'm sorry no it's been about 15 years still i do even when i go to the batting cages it's the same exact thing once we get up into our mid-30s we just estimate based on decades yeah 10 20 30 years it happened in the 90s <laughs> Decades ago. (laughs) (laughs) So some other examples for some people, the food that they eat in the morning, the side of the bed they sleep on, the time that they leave the house can all be parts of a routine that becomes superstitious. But like you said, like it only takes one or two times or maybe just like a comfortable routine for that to turn into some level of superstition. This is especially susceptible when something particularly great happens and there is a notable difference, something that is especially different. It's like you were sort of maybe forced into do something that was outside of your routine and then have a really awesome outcome from that. And even though those things were unrelated, you might make that connection yourself. Let's say, for example, you just happen to wear a different jacket to work because the one you usually wear is missing or really dirty or whatever. And then all of a sudden on your way to work, you get every single green light. You get the best parking spot in the lot. You find $20 on the ground and you have a super lucky day at work where everybody's nice to you and you get a ton of stuff done. You're likely to look at that sweater and think, I am wearing you everywhere from now on. 
And I'm like, that is my lucky sweater. Cause I wore that sweater once and had the best day of my whole year. That's it. Yeah. And so you can see how easily those things get shaped up that way. Yeah. I mean, it takes one good day. Exactly. So essentially in summary, what happens is we overgeneralize a rule. And this is sort of coming back to the evolution piece to maximize our success when we notice some coincidence and believe that we can influence that coincidence or the extent to which that outcome happens by capitalizing on the coincidental things that happen. And even when we sometimes know that there is not an actual causal link, we will still stick to that ritual because of our history with that ritual. And Again, just thinking about this in terms of what is happening in all of these situations is you have a coincidental outcome that is positive and it just has to happen that once. But if it happens every once in a while, that makes it that much stronger that that positive outcome happens and that will just maintain that ritual for indefinitely, basically. Yep. So as you're listening to this, you're probably already thinking about the things that you do. You know, we talked about a couple things that we do, but you're probably thinking about the things that you do now and kind of identifying like, why do I do this thing? Or maybe you're not a good observer of your own behavior. So maybe you don't realize what you're doing is superstitious. I mean, we gave some examples of like knocking on wood or picking up pennies and stuff, but there's some other things that you probably do in your life that's specific to your own learning history that nobody else does, but it's something that you do because it's quote unquote worked for you in the past. All right, Shane, get into your batting routine. Okay, so when I used to go bat, you know, I'm a, I'm a right-handed batter, so I would approach the box, I would tap the line with my right foot, and then I would put my foot in and, like, grind, like, my right foot in, and I would grind my foot down so it was, like, really stable, like, that was my base, okay? Then I would stand up straight, I would get my hands in the right position on my bat, I would look at the pitcher, then I would step my left foot in, I would reach with my left hand, I would tap the bat on the, the far left corner, the far right corner, the, the closest left corner, the closest right corner of the, of the plate, tap the middle, and then I would bring both my hands to the bat, and I would do a, like a real low swing three times, and then I would bring my bat up, and then that's when I would be ready to swing. Man, that is a complex routine that you developed there. Yeah, and, I mean, and it's a fairly, like, it's not even like a really overt one, but it is something that I did every single time that I went up to the plate. And if I didn't, I mean, there was one time where, like, my routine got off, and I ended up breaking my hand. Wow. So I was like, no, it it worked for me for a little while, you know? (laughs) So I play a lot of board games and one of my superstitions is how I roll dice when I roll them. And so what I do (laughs) is people make fun of me for doing this so much is I set them to the number I want them to be on. And then when I shake them, I cup them and then I let them drop straight down. And that is the superstition that I have. There's not very many steps to it. But it is something that I've noticed for myself. Another one that I'm very embarrassed about because it's so dumb is that still to this day, I avoid stepping on cracks in the sidewalk. Yes. There's no reason for it, but it's just a thing that carried over from childhood. I care so much about my mom. I don't want to hurt her. (laughs) For those of you who haven't heard, there's this dumb rhyme that kids will say that's like, don't step on a crack or you'll break your mother's back or some variant of that. I don't know. It's a weird thing that I do, but that's one of them. I do the same thing. I'm like, like, I'm like, oh, this step is off. I like stutter step and I'm like, okay. And then I got to step over it. When I played video games a lot, I'd have superstition about the food that I would eat. So specifically when I played Halo and I do online tournaments and stuff, I would always have potato salad (laughs) years ago. (laughs) That's a very specific food. I know. Right. From this one store that you could get it from their like deli section and get potato salad. And then I don't remember what the drink was now, but it was some soda thing. But yeah, it was 
very American of me <laughs> to, <laughs> to <laughs> eat that. And that was sort of my superstitious routine around playing video games. I love that we both just kind of disclosed very American things about us. Like if you weren't aware that we were from the United States, here are two very American things. I spent my entire youth playing baseball and you're eating potato salad from a local deli. <laughs> yep. That is Americana in a nutshell. That's it. If you ever want to know about American culture, cheeseburgers, hot dogs, baseball, and potato salad. <laughs> oh boy. Well, that, that went off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was good. I think this was a fun one. I mean, I think when you talk about superstitions, I think they're fun and I think they're interesting and it's just an interesting way to look at how our behavior can accidentally get shaped up into this really complex or really like not really useful thing. Right. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll hit the point one more time that essentially all that happens in all superstitions, I mean, you can be told one of these superstitions and that can carry over. And that's something we didn't really talk about on here, but so you can develop superstitions from being told about superstitions and then you'll like notice it. It'll bring your attention to it. And so then you'll start to notice the coincidences when they happen and forget all the times that they don't, which is 90% of the time, 99, 100% of the time. <laughs> But when it just happens to you and you develop your own superstitions, essentially what is happening is that there's just some coincidence and that you're linking that to some outcome. And that is a thing that happens. Now, the other thing that complicates this that we also didn't touch on very much is the fact that there are things that you do that will actually specifically cause that outcome and you don't necessarily know how. And so by repeating that thing that you do, although it's in a way it's superstitious because you don't know what the relation is, it is actually a cause effect relationship because the thing that you did made that outcome happen. So that's just a another wrinkle in all of this yeah so if you have superstitious behavior don't stress it's fine actually we'd love to hear about it i would love yeah. to hear your super complex superstitious behaviors if you don't mind us sharing with everybody please write in let us know you can contact us on all the social media platforms if you want to support us a little bit you can find us on all the platforms where you get podcasts and recommend us to a friend or something like that it would be great and of course you can join us on patreon we have done some very silly behind the scenes for the episodes that we've recorded recently just talking about random stuff so that's one thing that's available to being a patreon supporter for sure for sure so i've been rubbing my uh, lucky crystal hoping that you all will write in <laughs> great all right yeah. well i don't have anything else are we good to close this one out shane i think we're good yeah perfect all right well thank you for listening and uh catch you all later this is abraham and this is shane we are out see ya You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.
No. Uh, okay. It seems to be recording. Okay. <laughs> that would be a really that funny start. The episode? All right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, and I'm ready. Thing that people do. Wait, what? What did I write here? <laughs> At least for the batter, right? Wait, what? Yes. <laughs>